0: This episode is brought to you by Snapple. Want to know another Snapple fact? The first hot air balloon passengers were a sheep, a duck, and a rooster. Ridiculous. Check out Snapple.com to find ridiculously flavored Snapple near you.
1: By now, you know that sound. It's the sound of the Home Depot. But what about those sounds?
2: You're listening to the Rock and Roll Heaven Podcast with L.D. and T.J. Can you dig that, baby? <laughs>
0: hey, guys. Welcome to Rock and Roll Heaven, the podcast where we talk about the lives, careers, and deaths of famous musicians. I am your host, L.D., along with me for the ride, as always, is T.J. Oh, hey. Hey. TJ, this was a really, really rough week for us, wasn't it? Yeah, this
3: week could bite me. No. Like, I did not care for this week at all. Would you like to tell the listeners what happened briefly? Yeah, so we had to very unexpectedly put our dog to sleep following a freak back injury. So, not fun for us at all. It's been just awful the last few days, so... (laughs) So, we are recording basically to take my mind off of it because I could not be at home anymore. So, sad recording session today
0: for me. Well, I went to a, a rap party on Sunday night. Yeah, I didn't get and, to go to that with you. And, well, it's probably best that you didn't because okay. I wound up getting pink eye. Oh, my God. <laughs> Okay, I'm so glad that you told me before you said that that you're not contagious anymore at least. Basically, I was hugging a lot of people that probably had been hugging a lot of kids. Oh, that's all I can think of. So, that rap
3: party was 21 and over. How are they hugging <laughs> children?
0: Well, cuz they had to make the walk from the studio to the ah, venue true. and like the the finale yeah. had just happened. So, and then we had the Game of Thrones finale. Have you even gotten to see it yet? No. I have not. Has it been spoiled for you yet? No, actually, I've been doing really well at avoiding spoilers. I liked it. And this is very divisive because I'm friends with someone that I work with right now on Facebook. And she was like, okay, you've been missing for three days. Number one, I don't know where you were. I was like, I had pink eye. And she's like, okay, never mind. But you liked the episode. And I was like, I loved it. I thought it was great. And she was like, we need to talk later for a very long time. (laughs) <laughs> I was like, you're not going to change my mind. I actually really enjoyed it. So we're, well, I, we're we're not spoiling anything here. I just saying,
3: yeah, I really liked it. Well, I know this season people have been complaining a lot, but you know, so far there's only one thing that's happened that I didn't care for in the season.
0: And we agreed on that. Yeah. We're doing another Patreon episode today, right? Yes. Today is actually a very special day for two reasons. Okay. Number one, today's episode is a Patreon episode, so we want to give a huge thank you to Amanda. Yeah! Amanda sent us in her three selections, and they were all great selections, but it's kind of kismet is that the day that this episode comes out will be the 23rd anniversary of this person's death. And people like to call it the fall and rise of this particular artist because he didn't become famous until after he passed away and the person oh, that, that sucks yeah the person that we're going to be covering today is bradley knell the frontman for the band sublime so, sublime yeah so good i love sublime normally i'm pretty obsessive about attempting to get like all the dates straight this may jump back and forth a little bit because that's kind of how he lived his life was jumping back and forth it's he's i don't think we covered someone who has had so much energy We've covered a lot of really cool people, but this guy had energy to the walls. Oh, okay. So my sources today are the all-music bio by Greg Prado, the band, from sublimemusic.com. An article called 20 Years Ago Sublime Frontman Bradley Knoll Dies of a Heroin Overdose by Brenda Manley. On Diffuser FM. This is called Happy 47th Birthday to Brad by Mike Patty on com, And this is going to come into play later, but Laws Jacob Knoll discusses new music, Overcoming Addiction and His Father Bradley's Legacy by Brian Reisman on Billboard. And of course, there are a couple more sources where I pulled like a line or two here. And there's a 44 minute VH1 behind the music on Sublime. And it's really good. I liked it. It seems to have um, a lot of the people that were involved in his life in the show. A lot of people that we talk about are actually uh, on that that special. So it's good. And you can find it on YouTube. I think you just look up Sublime Behind the Music or Sublime Documentary and it'll pop up. All right. Jumping in. Bradley James Knoll was born on February 22nd, 1968. He and his sister Kelly were born and raised in Belmont Shore neighborhood of Long Beach, California. And if you know anything about... Sublime, they were very Long Beach proud, like a lot of their songs called out the LBC. Yeah. And his parents were Jim and Nancy, and as a child, he enjoyed surfing, sailing, and often participated in boat races, which is not something (laughs) you would think. Like, I could see the, the surfing and sailing, but the boat races, is that was new. All right. Noel actually became a really difficult child and was often hyperactive and disruptive. I mean, I was the same, so... (laughs) <laughs> his mother recalled that he became a very emotional, very sensitive, very artistic, but he was needy. He was always testing just to see what he could get away with. And after his parents divorced when he was 10, his behavior got worse. So his mother was originally awarded custody, but found him too difficult to control. And at the age of 12, he moved in full time with his father. That being said, he was an avid reader who had a strong appetite for knowledge. Music was an integral part of Noel's upbringing on the part of both his parents. His father was a construction worker and enjoyed playing guitar and exposed him to the music of a future episode of the podcast, Jim Croce. Cool. Yeah. His mother taught piano for a living in addition to playing the flute. I, Oh my god, I hated playing the flute so much when I was growing up. Same. Oh, it was worse. <sighs> Sorry to any flautists, but this is going to be a through line for this podcast. <laughs>
3: <laughs> we we did not excel at the
0: flute. We failed horribly. We failed horribly. Both parents helped teach young Brad to play the guitar, and in the summer of 1979, 11-year-old Noel accompanied his father on a month-long sailing trip to the Virgin Islands, where he was first exposed to reggae music. And now that's going to sound weird coming out of left field, but if you know anything about Sublime's music... It is this great infusion of reggae, hip-hop, ska. So you'll start to see these influences kind of seep in. Yeah, I was going
3: to say the reggae thing makes a lot of sense. Yeah. That that was an early influence on him.
0: Yeah. You can hear all the influences. Oh, yeah, definitely. In 1982, Bradley had joined a band called Second Sight in the ninth grade at Wilson High School in Long Beach, California, with singer Roger Trope, bassist Dave Hegstrom, and drummer Andy Troy. Bradley played the guitar. Roger and Dave then kicked Bradley out of the band in 1984 or 1985. But they also kicked out Andy and Dave and changed guitar. And Bud God joined the band as the drummer. Second Sight didn't make any albums. But Bradley took the guitar and singing lessons. And three years later, Eric, Bradley, and Bud formed Sublime. So stepping back a little bit, by age 16, he was in a band called Hogan's Heroes, not to be confused with the New Jersey hardcore punk band of the same name or that TV show. <laughs> I was going to say the
3: TV show. That's what I thought. where I thought you were going with that. I didn't realize there was another band also called Hogan's Heroes.
0: Until I did this research, I didn't either, so no offense to Hogan's Heroes. So he was in the band Hogan's Heroes with Michael Yates and Eric Wilson, and he was described as a gifted kid with many friends. At first, Wilson did not share Noel's interest in reggae music. And Brad recalled the experience. I was trying to get them to do... Oh, man, I love UB40. They're trying to get them to do UB40's version of uh, Cherio Baby, and it didn't work. They tried, but it sounded like such garbage. We were horrible, he said. Noel attended the University of California, Santa Cruz, before transferring to California State University, Long Beach, to study finance. Well, that would have been a horrifying shame. Yeah. Then we wouldn't have doing time or 40 ounces to freedom, and that's just not a world I want to live in. Or Santa or What I Got. Or What I Got. Or Waiting for Maruka. Or for Rest Me Down. Or April 26, 1992. I could just name off all of these <laughs> sublime <laughs> songs. So he was at while he was at Cal State Long Beach, some sources say that he received good grades appearing on the dean's list in 1990. However, he dropped out one semester shy of earning a degree stating that I have all the hard classes left. I doubt I'll ever go back. I will say I think –
3: he may be the first one to have graduated college that we've taken he on. He didn't
0: graduate college, though. Or Oh, no, I guess he didn't. No. He was, like, because one I think semester shy, but, I mean, like, I feel for him. Because I think him. there's
3: only been, like, one other person that even went to college, I think, so yeah. far. How many
0: colleges have you gone to? Uh, two. Four?
3: <laughs> Four? I think. It's really sad that you don't remember.
0: <laughs> like... Like, that's kind of a big deal, dude. So when, when Sublime first emerged, few knew what to make of the gang of crusty, self-destructive SoCal punks fusing reggae, hardcore punk, and ska into something entirely new. And that was true because we hadn't, if I remember the musical landscape, we had just moved out of, like, we hadn't gone into grunge, really. That This was still the 80s. Really? Yeah.
3: All right. Well... But even still, there's not a lot of bands that sound like them. They still have a very unique sound.
0: Yeah, even today, they have an incredibly distinctive sound. Right. That that you know it's sublime within the first couple of notes. Right. And I it pumps me every time. I mean, <laughs> today Tracy came into the apartment and I had my feet up on the coffee table and I was just blasting what I got. <laughs> yep. Getting pumped for this episode. According to a Westwood One interview, which can be found on disc three of Sublime's box set, in 1988, Noel got together with bassist Wilson and drummer Brad Gaw, performing small shows at house parties and barbecues, and the band was often asked to leave the parties due to excessive noise, and all too often... The cops would actually show up and break the party up. And I think at one point I was watching a special that said that the cops knew Bride by name. So, (laughs) (laughs) Nice. Sublime gained a reputation for their rowdy behavior and eventually became one of the most popular bands in Southern California. Despite their local success, music venues were skeptical of the band's eccentric music fusion and refused to, to book the band. And in response, Noel and Wilson created their own music label, Skunk Records. I'm wondering if that has a drug reference in it.
3: It's possible.
0: Telling venues that they were skunk records recording artists, helping the band seem more accomplished and enabling them to book more shows. It's smart. It's smart, but dang. But also, why would you not check into that
3: and be like, what's skunk records? No, but if you
0: got like a phone call and they are like, hello, thanks for calling the House of Blues. How can I help you? And they're like, well, this is skunk records recording artist sublime seeing if we can get booked i assume that's how phone calls go i don't know that is not how phone calls go <laughs> uh, so the band produced and distributed sublime's early recordings on that label so they actually did create the label the band produced and distributed sublime's early recordings on the label so they like legitimately made it into a thing yeah later selling demo tapes at shows and local record stores
3: so they're like one of the early indie
0: label like Independent artists. Yeah. That's cool. There's, you know what though? It's, they never moved out of it. Right.
3: Because. Why would you at that point? Because then you're, I mean, yes, there are some things that a major label can help you with to grow in your career, but also many artists stay on that route because then you get to keep more of your, of your sales, your revenue, you
0: know. You have more freedom as an artist. That too. Yeah. In 1990, musical student Michael Miguel Haploff, forgive me if I'm mispronouncing that name, offered to let the band record in the studio at the school where he was studying, although it was without the school's knowledge. And the, <laughs> the band agreed, and then they snuck into the school at night where they would record from midnight to seven in the morning. The recording sessions resulted in the popular cassette tape, Ja Won't Pay the Bills, released in 1991. The, the tape helped the band gain a grassroots following throughout Southern California, and it was during this time that Noel became involved with drugs. For years, Noel refused to try heroin. However, as he entered his early 20s and witnessed the man's success, he decided that he was actually going to try out the drug. His father explained his excuse for taking the heroin was that he felt like he had to be larger than life. He was leading the band, leading his fans, and he tried to put on this persona, he had heard a lot of musicians say that they were taking heroin to be even more creative. That Using the same tactics that they used in recording John Won't Pay the Bills, the band recorded their debut album, 40 Ounces to Freedom, in secrecy at the studio at California State University, Dominguez Hills. Noel recalled, you weren't supposed to be in there after 9 p.m., but we go in at 9.30 and stay until 5 in the morning. We would just hide from the security guards. They never knew we were there, and we managed to get in. worth of studio time for free. You look like you're about to say something.
3: Well, I was just sitting there and like, this is the same band that used to get almost like arrested or broken, parties broken up because they're too loud and somehow they hid from the security guards. Yeah. (laughs) And no one knew that they were recording there.
0: 40 Ounces to Freedom was released in 1992. 60,000 copies were sold. 30,000 of those were from the back of a van. That's one article I read.
3: Holy crap.
0: Yeah. <laughs> we just kept being pukers and doing it all by ourselves, and now here we are today. We never thought it would be like this. We just thought we'd always be playing in backyard parties. A couple hundred people in Long Beach can claim that we played in their backyards. And that was from a an article quoting Noel on Sublime Sec- Success in 1995. John Phillips, co-owner of Silverback Music Management, who first came to know Sublime in late 1993 while working as an ANR rep for Gasoline Alley, John became the group's manager, eventually signing them to Gasoline Alley, becoming a key role in Sublime's music reaching the masses. Over a 45-minute phone call, John remembered and shared old stories of Brad, and these stories include evading dog catchers through the neighborhoods of Belmont Shore. California in his pickup truck while Brad guided him through the streets as Lou dog stood on the end of the bed of a truck without a leash Or or the time when John had sublime play his 1930s sycamore address in Hollywood Hills to impress some industry people with the hopes of getting sublime signed sublime played, but without mic stands as they improvised by stealing stop signs to hold up the vocal mics. While a 1970s Tracy Lord porno played in the TV in the background. <laughs> Fun fact, I didn't know that there was a 1970s Tracy Lord porno. Well, see, now you know. And No one's half the battle. You learn things here, folks. <laughs> Even we learn things from time to time here at Rock and Roll Heaven. We learn a lot that we did not know. My head is so full of just information now. It's true. As Sublime maintained their ascent, Noel struggled to stay clean. When they recorded their scattered but often brilliant second album, Robin in the Hood, he did it in an earthquake-damaged house-turned-tweaker pad with pirated electricity, according to Spin. The lyrics to Pool Shark, which Noel confessed, I want more and more, one day I'm going to lose the war, was eerily prophetic. Despite their growing popularity in Southern California... Sublime was still not signed with a major label. Around that time, Noel teamed up with his longtime friend, Gwen Stefani, of No Doubt, and they recorded the song Saw Red. And I'm not sure if you've ever heard Saw Red before. I don't don't think I have. It's a very, it's a trippy song. It's only like two minutes, and it starts almost like a 1960s psychedelic song. But you can already hear Gwen's vocals really really well and i think this is just i feel like it was just pre no doubt breaking into the the music scene i think this is just prior to tragic kingdom oh okay like they had recorded no doubt had recorded one or two albums i think beforehand and then tragic kingdom came out and that was when like when they blew up so so that song saw red was eventually released on sublime's robin and the hood album Which was self recorded on a four track cassette and then released in nineteen ninety four. And several songs from that album detailed Noel's worsening drug addiction. About a year later, Tazy Phillips took a copy of Forty Ounces to Freedom to a Los Angeles radio station, and this is a station that you know pretty well, I think. K R O Q. K Rock. K Rock. Yeah. Yeah. Everybody knows K-Rock. And requested that the song Date Rape be added to the playlist. So, (laughs) have you heard Date Rape? I don't think that's one that I know. Soon after, MCA Records picked up 40 ounces of freedom for national distribution. Yay! And Sublime was scheduled to go on a tour of Europe. Noel was, like I said, an avid reader who enjoyed quoting historians and philosophers began studying European history to prepare for the trip. Attention from a major label did not curb Noel's drug use, however. Which sometimes led him, I mean, this is really sad. Um, He is signed to a major label. They're about to go on tour. And he would actually pawn off his instruments and sell drugs as reflected in the song Pawn Shop. So he would actually like pawn off his stuff to buy his drugs. Whoa. In February of 1996, Sublime returned to the studio to record the bulk of their self-titled album, which would be their debut with MCA. Production was done by Paul Leary of the Butthole Surfers and the producer of Marcy's Playground and the Meat Puppets. You remember the song Sex and Candy? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Love that, that song. That's a good song. At Willie Nelson's, oh, I'm going to butcher this, Pertinelles Studio in Austin, Texas. So they recorded it at Willie Nelson's studio. So while on tour in the mid-1990s, and I hope I get her name right. If I don't, I'm so sorry, but after this, I'll only refer to her as Troy. Noel met Troy Deniker. Deniker grew up in Southern California in a home... Okay, so what I'm about to say is, of course, hearsay. I pulled it from several articles. I I never like to assume that any of this is actually true so apparently she grew up in southern california in a home with a drug addicted mother and a father who is also a drug user and a member of a motorcycle gang in an interview troy who has considered a career in drug and alcohol counseling stated that she loves addicts because they are ultimately kind people troy also says that she doesn't have anger toward her parents regarding the way that she was brought up because she phrased it her parents were real So the two started dating, and Troy actually became pregnant, giving birth to a son, Jacob James Noel, on June 25, 1995. And in May, on the 18th, 1996, just a week before Noel died, the couple married in a Hawaiian-themed ceremony in Las Vegas. In an interview with Rolling Stone, Troy said that Noel was very happy and pleasant to be around when he was under the influence of his substances, but added that he could be very difficult when not under the influence. The goal, Troy said, was to have Noel be... Ha- a, as happy sober as he was when he was high. To that end, Brad attempted to detoxify and do drug rehabilitation several times, but such treatments usually had short lived success, which was usually a disappointment to his family and friends. Bandmate Bud Gaw tried to be supportive of nolan in his recovery and occasionally in his usage. Gaw said that he had tried to be Brad's conscience, and then sometimes Gaw tried to be Noel's drug buddy, so he was kind of playing both sides. Like, I want to try to help you get sober, but if you're going to get high, I'm going to get high too. Oh yeah. So after the birth of his son, he actually attempted to do several different kinds of drug treatments in an attempt to overcome his drug dependency, but he he was unsuccessful. Right. So he he was trying. Hmm. Attention from a, a major label did not curb Noel's drug use. His use of heroin actually increased. He had been known sometimes to pawn his guitars to support his habit. Miguel would have to go find the pawn shop and buy the guitars back. That's just sad. So at this time, a couple of sources say that he was spending about $4,000 on heroin a month while recording the tracks. Holy crap! You know we say that, but like we don't actually know how much that is. What do you mean? I mean, how expensive? Like how much? Like what's the street? Like the amount of drugs? Yeah. How much? How much? Four grand. How much can you buy for four thousand dollars? I have no idea. I'm just.
3: I'm not commenting on the amount used so much
0: as the amount spent every month. Like, holy, wow. So. Seven days after Noel's marriage to Troy, Sublime embarked on a five-day tour through California cities in preparation for the summer tour of Europe, which is when he started, like, completely absorbing the European history. The tour was intended as a means of promotion for their upcoming major label debut album. On May twenty fifth, 1996, after a show in Petaluma, the band was scheduled to head up north. That morning, Bud woke up to to see Brad half in bed with his feet on the floor. At first, Gaw assumed that he had been so intoxicated that he couldn't get into bed. However, further inspection allowed him to notice a green film around his mouth, and it was obvious that he had overdosed. He called for paramedics, but Brad had been dead for hours and was pronounced dead at the scene. Noel's last performance took place at the Phoenix Theater in Petaluma, California. Noel was cremated, and his ashes were spread over his favorite surf spot, Surfside, California, and a headstone was placed at the Westminster Memorial in Westminster, California, in his memory. And every day on that year, friends and family visit his grave at the park to drink, smoke, and leave memorabilia and reminisce. A few weeks after Noel's death, fellow Southern California band, No Doubt, which we talked about how He was actually really good friends with Gwen Stefani going so far as to record uh, a song with her. Headlined a cautionary, and that is in quotations, benefit concert in tribute to Brad. Troy, which was Noel's widow, and the various bands who performed wanted to make it clear that they were not glamorizing the way that Noel died. But they wanted to celebrate his life as well as to establish a college fund for his son, Jacob. On January 11, 1997, Los Angeles Times article titled Cautionary Concert in Rocker's Memory, writer Jerry Crow quoted No Doubt bassist Tony Canal saying, obviously it's going to be very emotional because you're playing a show to commemorate a good friend who died for a very wrong reason. But you're also there to change a few things for the future and prevent stuff like this from ever happening again. A lot of times we hear about musicians doing drugs, and it's so blasé and cliché. You just kind of say, oh, he'll be fine. Somebody will take care of him. But that's not true. It's important for every single one of us to stand up and say, enough of this shit. It's time to make a difference. Jason Westfall, one of Sublime's managers, was quoted as saying, the surviving members of Sublime had no interest in continuing to perform and record under the Sublime name. Just like Nirvana, Sublime died when Brad died. In light of Noel's death, record executives considered not releasing Sublime's major label debut album. After some debate, the album was eventually released. Though the original title for it was actually killing it, it was actually given a eponymous title, so it went from killing it to Sublime. Sublime's major label debut album was released on July 30th, 1996. By 1997, the album entered the Billboard's top 20 and its first single. The largely acoustic hip-hop influenced What I Got soon became the number one song on the modern rock chart. Through 1997, the album produced three more radio hits. The ballad Santeria, the album song Wrong Way, and the George Gershwin-inspired song Do Time. The accompanying music videos for Sublime for the radio hits included Santeria, What I Got, and Wrong Way, received heavy rotation on MTV with previously filmed footage of Brad performing live. Interspliced into the video, completely naked, which was highly controversial at the time. To the surprise of many, Sublime became arguably the most successful, posthumous American rock act of 1997. The album Sublime has since sold over 75 million copies.
3: I'd believe that. it It's wildly popular. Like... And even it's just so funny, too, that like we're doing this episode and I just feel like I've heard their name a whole lot lately. Like you still hear them on the radio all the time. And I just feel like I've heard their name so much recently just through random
0: things. So I know I kind of glazed over his death. So I actually want to focus on that for just a minute. And we got to that early this week. Well, yeah, because his death was so early in their career. Right. So I actually kind of just want to focus on what actually happened to him or what we know, what, what a lot of sources say happened to him. Right. In fact, the first line of this is, while no one knows exactly what happened to Brad during those final moments in a San Francisco hotel room, it's believed that he couldn't sleep after a long night of partying and he reportedly tried to convince his longtime friend and bandmate, bassist Eric Wilson, and his drummer, Brad Gaw, to go down to the beach with him and watch the sun rise over the breaking waves. But they were too tired and hungover, so Noel took Ludog, his beloved Dalmatian, and went out on his own. At some point after he returned to his hotel room, Brad must have shot up. Gaw, who had used the same stash hours earlier, eventually woke up and found the singer lying With a green film on his lips. And oh my god. And Lou whimpering at his feet. No, It is presumed that Noel had already been dead for some time. That kills me. I'm sorry. Beyond the immense personal loss. His death was devastating. And tragic. Within the music world. After forming Sublime out of Long Beach in 88. Noel and the band had become. The DIY phenomenon. In the rising ska punk scene. A party band through and through. They were driven by Noel's chill inducing vocals. And percussive dub influenced guitar. Both of which paired perfectly with the infectious breezy rhythms of Wilson and Gaw. While the band was staying at the Ocean View Motel in San Francisco. Bud woke up to find Noel lying on the floor next to his bed in his Dalmatian loo. Was curled up. So after Brad's passing. For all intents and purposes, Sublime was done. So Wilson and Gaw, which was Eric and Bud, his bassist and his drummer, right, continued on as the Long Beach dub All-Stars, and for years they refused to perform again as Sublime. But in 2009, after being blocked by the Noel State, they arrived at a compromise when they reemerged with singer Rome, uh, with Rome Ramirez as Sublime with Rome. Gall left the band in 2011. The new band plays all of Sublime's original songs, except for one of my favorite songs, which I just forced TJ to listen to, Caress Me Down, which Rome refuses to play out of respect for Noel, as it's sung from his his perspective. The lyrics, Miyamo Bradley, is kind of what he's going for. The band also recorded original music. Their 2011 debut album, Yours Truly, is dedicated to Brad. The trio stuck together until 2011 when the bandmate Bud Gaw decided to leave the band. The current entourage is Rome Ramirez, Eric Wilson, and Carlos Verdugo. So basically all that's left of the original band is Eric Wilson. So what I'm about to talk about is the actual lawsuit that took place between 2009 and 2010. And so this comes from, I believe, the court registrar, which basically takes down all the information of a court case. Right. So, Mm -hmm. yeah. So this this was pulled from an article about the court case. On October 23rd, 2009, one day before the Smokeout Festival concert took place, (laughs) Noel's family and the executor of his estate threatened Gaw and Wilson, along with Ramirez, with a lawsuit that if the reconstituted band continued to use The sublime moniker. So basically, what that says is if they were going to keep performing as sublime, there would be steps taken to block them. To block them. Yeah. The statement was posted to the band's official MySpace page. Oh, MySpace. And it read as follows. That's the quickest way to date something is like, oh, MySpace. So 2009, (laughs) 2010? So this is a quote from the MySpace page. It was recently announced that Sublime bassist Eric Wilson and Sublime drummer Floyd Bud Gaw are reuniting and teaming with the singer and guitarist Rome Ramirez in a band they intend to call Sublime. Prior to his untimely passing, both Bud and Eric acknowledged that Brad Knoll was the sole owner of the name Sublime. It was Brad's expressed intention that no one used the name Sublime in any group that did not include him, and Brad even registered the trademark Sublime under his own name. As Brad heirs, and with the support of his entire family, we only want to respect his wishes, and therefore not have consented to Bud and Eric calling their new project Sublime. We have always wanted to support Bud and Eric's musical endeavors and their desire to continue to play Sublime's music. We wholeheartedly support Bud and Eric, and the many talented members of the Sublime Posse that formed the Long Beach dub All-Stars. Soon after Brad's death to honor him, even though their original recordings, live performances, and Sublime music until they disbanded in 2001. But out of respect for Brad's wishes, they have always refused to endorse a group performing a Sublime and now with great reluctance feel compelled to take the appropriate legal action to protect Brad's legacy. Our hope is that Brad's ex-bandmates will respect his wishes and find a new name to perform under as so as to enhance the sublime legacy without the confusion and disappointment that many fans have expressed upon seeing the announcement. So basically, the summation of that is that when Brad was alive, he had trademarked the sublime name. And once he passed, his estate held on to that legacy. Right. And they don't want to confuse people By performing under the name Sublime. And the family, it sounded like, didn't mind if Bud and Eric went out and performed Sublime songs. It was just they couldn't perform under the name Sublime. Something similar
3: to that happened, um, and we'll learn more about that in a future episode, but something similar to that happened um, with The Doors as well. Interesting.
0: After Jim Morrison's passing. So this is hopping out of that MySpace post. On November 3rd, 2009, a Los Angeles judge shut down the efforts by the new lineup of Sublime to perform under the name. Jeremiah Reynolds, who represents the estate of original Sublime singer Bradley Noel, comments on the case. The point we were trying to make is that we encourage these gentlemen to go out and play. We think that they're great musicians. We just don't think it's appropriate to call the group that doesn't have Brad and has a new lead singer of Sublime. It's consistent with Brad's intentions that we seek to protect the name. The court agreed that Bud and Eric and the new lead singer did not have the right to go out and call themselves sublime. So that was um, Jeremiah Reynolds' quote. As part of the preliminary injunctions, <laughs> I cannot say this word, folks. It's, it's like 10, 15 at night. I'm so tired. It's preliminary injunctions. Yeah, There we go. The new lineup are said to be unable to perform or record under the name Sublime without approval and permission from the Noel state. A spokesman forgot and Wilson declined to comment. Thomas Brackey, who represents these surviving Sublime members, did not return calls. And, of course, this is coming from a different thing. So I'm sure he wouldn't return my call either, but apparently he's not returning these calls. So... The injunction is dependent upon the bond of $125,000 being posted in the event that it is later determined that the defendants, the surviving Sublime members, suffered damages as a result of the ruling. Reynolds said that the bond would be posted, and Gaw and Wilson issued the following statement. Our goal continues to be sharing the music and the message of Sublime. With all of our fans around the world, we intend to take the court's advice and work on a business solution to this issue. We hope that the estate follows suit so that the music of Sublime can live on and be accessible to everyone. In January 2010, the case was dismissed, and it was finally announced that the new lineup of Ramirez, Wilson, and Gaw would perform together under Sublime with Rome. So, as my husband says, I think it's like a pretty old saying. It's just, you know it's a good compromise when no one's happy. (laughs) I like that. So... That kind of, sort of, wraps up the story of the lawsuit. Now I'm going to talk about one of the most important and valued members of the band that we have not spoken about yet. Oh, this is the part where I'm going to cry. I'm going to talk about Ludog. I might get real quiet for a little bit, folks. <laughs> it's okay. Lou Dog, whose proper name was King Louis Knoll, born on November 25th, 1989. In February 1990, Brad purchased a Dalmatian puppy from an old man for $500 and named him Louie after his grandfather, also referring to him as Lou Dog. He became a mascot for the band. Lou was often allowed to wander around the stage during concert performances, and Louie was also featured on the cover of Sublime albums and was referred to in the The lyrics of Sublime songs. In Sublime's most successful radio track, What I Got, Noel sings, Living with Louie Dog's The Only Way to Stay Sane. Another prominent song from the band, Garden Grove, mentions Louie Dog as such. We took a trip to Garden Grove. It smelled like Louie Dog inside the van. Oh, yeah. I'm not singing the lyrics, so it sounds much better coming out of Brad's face. (laughs) Sorry. <laughs> in the, the song Do in Time, which was the Gershwin-inspired song, Noel can be heard singing, all the people in the dance hall will agree that we're well qualified to represent the LBC, me, me and Louie, gonna run to the party and dance to the rhythm, it gets hard. So in the early 1990s, Lou Dog disappeared for a week. In a video directed by Josh Fischel of The Bargain Music, Stories, tales, lies, and exaggerations, standard. Troy Knoll, which is Brad's widow, said for that week during which Ludog was lost, Brad spent a great deal of time lying on the couch crying in response to the loss of his dog. Ludog was eventually returned to Brad, who in response to the situation later covered the camper van Beethoven song The Day That Lassie Went to the Moon and changed it to Ludog Went to the Moon. This song is available on the Noel Bootleg Firecracker Lounge. So I think it's harder to find because I don't even think I've heard of that song. While Lou was missing, Noel also recorded the song to his home answering machine as sort of an audio lost dog poster. Oh, that's sweet. So following Brad's death in 1996, Lou, Lou Dog was cared for by Miguel, the same guy who would actually go down to the pawn shop and buy the guitars back. Right. After and
3: they... Yeah. Recorded with originally.
0: Yeah. So Lou Dog was actually taken by Miguel and cared for. Lou Dog died on September 17th, 2001. A few things about Lou was Brad actually really worked hard to save up his money to buy him. And the guy who owned him when he was a pup had tied him out around a toilet seat in his front yard. Scum of the earth. Yeah. And this is actually kind of sad. Lou Dog became deaf after being on stage for so many years. Well, that's not really surprising. It's very loud on stage. Um, It's not, but he wanted to be with Bradley. Yeah, but, you know, that's cute. On Stand By Your Van, you can actually hear Brad say, Louie, 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 into the loudspeaker. And this is because by that time, Lou's hearing was just about gone. And the only way that Louie could hear his name being called was through the loudspeaker. And then when Ludog died, he was actually, he had to be put to sleep. He was cremated, and like Bradley, half of his ashes lie next to the headstone, and the rest were scattered to the sea. So wow. him and his Cute. his dad were reunited. So <laughs> I, I read an article that were like five fun facts about Ludog.
3: <laughs>
0: and so <laughs> this was this was going to kind of be the the end of the episode and then i found an article about jacob that i wanted to touch on so this was supposed to be like the funny ending <laughs> to the episode so i'm sorry because i think i end up bringing you guys back down i'm so sorry i didn't plan it that way but i kind of planned it that way she's always trying to make us sad y'all i am <laughs> so fun fact number one was ludog bites the star of the date rape video Z-man was one of Sublime's friends and the star of the date rape video, along with Ron Jeremy. When they were shooting at Ferns in Long Beach, he came to the day he came in one day and had a big ass bozo style afro wig on, and they had set the rope around it so they had like set up like a cordon off a section where they could shoot the part of the video, right, and. So V-Man was kneeling and trying to get under the rope, and uh, Ludog ran up and bit part of the guy's lip off. Oh, no! Yeah. It was on the video shoot, so they had to pay for the operation, or Brad would have to pay out of pocket, and it was a $5,000 operation, but the video did go on. So basically, Ludog just kind of got freaked out because this guy was wearing well, yeah, um, a giant... Wearing a big giant red Afro wig and crawling around on the floor. Yeah, so Lou Dog freaked out, bit him, caused $5,000 worth of damage to his face, and then... But the video did go on, so... Well, there you go. uh, Number two, Lou was the safety dog. Lou actually bit the star of the Santeria video. We had Lou Dog on the set of the Santeria video, and Bradley had already passed away, so he wasn't on set for that. But they were filming it with McG, who would later go on to do the Charlie's Angel movies. And we had Tiny, which was Tom Lister Jr., this 7-foot, 300-pound, big-ass dude. And so McG's setting the scene up, and he wanted Ludog to come on top of Tiny while he was lying down and then look at the camera. And people tried to tell McG, well, I did, look, dude, don't push your luck here. Don't have the dog so close to the actor's face. It's going to blow up. And sure enough, Tiny, this big-ass guy shakes his head and makes a weird sound. And then immediately Lou Dog lunched him and (laughs) bites him in the face. And so Tiny was like, what the F? And Luke gets taken off set. I just looked at McGee and said, I didn't want to tell you I told you so, but dude, what are you going to do now? The next day they had to hire a dog trainer with a couple of Dalmatians. So if you'll notice in the Santeria video, there's a Dalmatian on the set that's not Lou Dog. He got got kicked off the set for biting. So basically, don't be in a sublime video with Lou Dog.
3: Yeah. because you get your face bitten off. Yeah. Hey man, that stuff's scary. And you know, if you're just a normal dog, that's it freaks you
0: out. Yeah. So I'll skip to number five. I I liked Ludog fine until he bit me. <laughs> Lou Dog loved Bradley, but man, even Gwen got bit. Ludog bit Gwen with the trag when with the Tragic Kingdom dress And then she replaced the bite with a heart patch. So if you look at the picture of her in the Tragic Kingdom dress, there's actually a heart patch there from where Ludog had bitten her. Whoops. (laughs) The second story is that I actually got bit by Ludog when I was announcing Sublime at the Phoenix Theater. I did this awesome introduction for them. And I was jogging off stage when I catch Lou Dog out of the corner of my eye, and thinking, "Oh, that's cute." Lou Dog is following me off stage. Instead, he catches up with me and bites me in the leg and rips a hole through my jeans. Oh, Fortunately, I was at the curtain, so no one in the audience saw me. Literally, jump ten feet. I hated the dog after that. I still have the jeans with the Lou Dog tear in them. Lou Dog was allegedly at the foot of the bed when Bradley died. So yeah, was that still Gwen? No.
3: Oh, you didn't mention who that was.
0: No, it was two. It was two different. Oh, okay. No, basically the whole summation so of that story is just Lou bit everybody. Yeah, <laughs> you couldn't, you couldn't escape it. But apparently he was super loyal to Brad. They had this bond that you know a person and their pup feels. Right. And so I get it. Lou Dog was a good, good boy. Go boy. And finally he got to hang out with Brad in the great stage in the sky. All right. So the next thing I'm going to talk about is arguably what I would consider Brad's greatest legacy, which is his son, Jacob. And I was watching the the VH1 documentary, Behind the Music, and Troy was saying that she is sad for the circumstances around Brad's death. Specifically because Jacob would grow up and not know his father. He'd have no memory of his father. And you have to remember that they were only married for a week before he died.
3: Oh, shoot. That's right.
0: So, that and, sucks. and Jacob had been born in June and he died in May. Uh. So he wasn't quite a year old when his father passed away but of course at that age you're not going to have any memory of your of your dad so this comes from that article i was actually referring to earlier that was on billboard.com written by brian reisman called laws jacob knoll discusses new music overcoming addiction and father bradley's legacy so and i quote two years sober next month and in the midst of a personal creative renaissance 23 year old jacob is embracing his musical destiny and pushing forward full steam ahead and i don't know if it's law or law because it's all capitalized lost first full-length album there and back again released on november 23rd takes off from the reggae punk sounds that, that sublime thrived on the lead single cold in particular with its game of thrones on a budget satire video but the band's But the band further injects a 1990s hard rock sound and other influences into its melee. melee, Melee. 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 Jacob appreciates the fact that fans of his band generally know about them because of his father. And he hopes that they will stick with law through its musical evolution. He knows success is not guaranteed just because of his lineage. And that he and his bandmates are willing to work hard to make it before press time of the the article they had made plans to record with producer Steve Albini Nirvana and Cheap Trick Love's members have been playing music since they were in middle school Jacob's paternal grandfather taught him the basics of guitar so basically just just like his father was taught by his father he's actually being taught by his grandfather so th- right him and his dad learned from the same person right his dad yeah taught both of them yep early footage of the band as a trio playing four years at the age of the 25th anniversary show for the skunk records a label that bradley formed to help sublime game extra attention as a signed band proved that his son was already a natural in front of the crowd i've always really liked the stage declares jacob being an entertainer and performer has always resonated with me i think there's a lot that one can do on stage that they can't do off it Personally, I feel more comfortable up there in front of an audience than I do on the ground floor talking to people. When asked which song on There and Back Again was most personal, Jacob, whose Law's lyricist, chose Autumn Light and Blinking. The former song was very influenced by his upbringing. It's from the perspective of driving back home to San Diego, which is where I grew up, and the anxiety and that fear coming along with it, he explains. Blinking was written when the current four-piece lineup was gelling. It was about the struggle we had to get along and get to know each other, he says. It's very much about the inner band turmoil and personal stuff. We're four best friends. We spent a lot of time together, but there are times that we don't get along. And there are times that we have a great time hanging out, but we're all in our 20s. We're young. We're growing up and learning about ourselves. And a lot of our music comes to reflect that. Doses of psychosis, which I think is a clever name, was written while Jacob was in rehab. He had his guitar with him and wrote a lot to pass the time. A lot of that song is just fun wordplay and lyricism, he remarks. I didn't think what inspired it mostly was a feeling of being trapped. Drawing from other times in my life, feeling trapped like you can't progress out of your nature. Which, I mean, in retrospect, he's kind of falling in line where his dad was. Right. But it seems like he he didn't want to turn out like his dad. Right. At least, not in the, in the end. Bradley developed a fatal addiction to heroin that resulted in an overdose when he was 28. Even after he reportedly became clean and uh, following his son's birth, that struggle and Jacob's own are chronicled in the recent documentary *The Long Way Back*, the story of Todd Zeman Zalkins. Jacob began drinking at age 12 and struggled with alcohol for almost 10 years. Bradley's close friend. Zalkins, whose 17 year battle with opioid painkillers is the focus of the documentary, helped Jacob overcome his unhealthy dependency. For someone who has been through as much as Jacob has, he comes across as confident, peaceful, and open to dialogue about his journey. Life is very different and it's so much effing better, he reveals. For the longest time, it was a struggle. It was fun. A lot of people say this it, it was fun. And it was fun with problems. But then there was just problems. What propelled Jacob to slide into drinking was he wanted to experience and understand the lifestyle that people like his father and Jimi Hendrix had indulged in. Part of it was that cool allure of everything that a rock band brings, he recalls. I always wanted to do that. When Jacob was drinking heavily, he said he would hang out with people around his age. We would try to make music. He says, everyone's inevitably too fucked up to really do it. And yeah. everyone's wondering, why can't we make it? It's almost like people have it backwards before you get famous and then get addicted to the drugs and alcohol. Now people do it the other way around. In the end, I didn't want to become a cliche. Yet another rock musician to succumb to drugs and alcohol. It's played out, he concludes. You can still see it with these young dudes now who are basically the new rock stars. In the 90s, they all died at 27 and now they're dying at 17. And so I just wanted to wrap this up. With of course a quote from Brad Of course Good music is good music And that should be enough for anybody So in the end I think Brad has Bradley has left Two great legacies We have the music of Sublime That we can still enjoy And I still do Almost on a daily basis I love Sublime They're, they're up there in my top five bands Probably of all time it was a pleasure doing this episode, and I'm sorry that it was so bouncing back and forth. <laughs> so thank you, Amanda, for suggesting this. I wanted to mention a couple things, too, is that there's a new documentary coming out because I follow Troy on Instagram, and she's always posting these really cool pictures. And I, I really like following her, her Instagram, so I don't want to blow up her Instagram. So if you want to go find her, you're more than welcome to, but I'm not going to give out Her name. Yeah. I had to do some digging to find her, but I really like her. Okay. I can't actually find the the proper name for the documentary. So there's a new Sublime documentary out. Or coming out. Or coming out. I've, I've been following Troy on Instagram, and it, I don't know if it premiered at Tribeca Film Festival or not, but Troy was there, and she was actually photographed with Bud on a cbs article so i've been trying to find out where to find it because usually if there's a documentary i'm going to absorb it as quickly as possible especially if it's about like the rock genre so maybe if i can find the proper name and it's not just the new sublime documentary then i'll try to post it in our show notes but sublime today is even still inspiring artists and didn't you have something to say about new sublime stuff Yeah,
3: um, so I listened to The Woody Show on my, like, 10-minute drive to work in the morning. And it happened to be when they were talking about this, so I found out about it. Because I've heard about, like, I've just heard their name so much recently, which I just find really interesting because we were doing this episode today. Yeah, so they played a new cover by Lana Del Rey doing time to kind of get listener feedback Oh, here it is. Fan feedback. It's actually pretty it, it's pretty good. I mean, it's her style. So, briefly, the picture will end up on our socials, but so LD just listened to the Lana Del Rey cover and she oh, is not no, impressed. No. <laughs> no. I mean, I thought it was fine. It's it's not <sighs> sublime.
0: It's not
3: sublime. It's, it's Lana's style. Well, I don't listen you either to Lana Del Rey. Well, so that's what I'm saying. You either dig it or you don't. It seems like
0: it doesn't... It seems to be about 50-50 that people... I'm on one of those 50s. <laughs> and this being the 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 day that this comes out is the anniversary of his passing. And I I think that anyone that's listening to this episode and has made it this far knows that I love Sublime. And even 23 years later his music still hits me and his music still, you know, gets me pumped and I love it. And he was one of the first artists that I remember where his, when I found out that he had passed away, I was so sad. I was so bummed out because I had just discovered him. Like a lot of people had and I wanted more and there just, there wasn't anything. And so there's this Bradley sized hole in my musical heart because we won't get any more new Sublime music and I think that's well they made some with the new front man yeah but it's not But it's not the same it's not the same yeah. it's missing that almost like nymph that sprite that that little spark it's missing that that one key element that made Sublime Sublime right and so on his anniversary I miss him <laughs> I never knew him, I never met him, but I miss him and I'm glad that we got to do this episode on this day. Yeah, so, me too. Thank you so much to our Patreon Amanda who suggested this topic. I hope we did him justice. I hope you know how much I truly enjoy Sublime and I I knew a lot a lot of these facts because I had really loved the band and um so yeah, We hope you like this episode. Yeah. Next week, we're
3: taking a break from the recent passings, and we haven't had any new suggestions recently, so I'm excited to make my own pick next week. And what is your pick going to be? Well, we haven't done a lady for a while, so I am going to do some digging and finally learn more about someone whose music I really enjoy, but I don't know much about. Uh, And I'm going to be
0: covering the life, career, and death of Miss Nina Simone. Nice. And I picked someone for my next episode because of the mystery surrounding their death was so interesting. And it's made a lot of like top 10s, top 15 most mysterious deaths in music and so I'm going to cover Bobby Fuller of the Bobby Fuller 4. Which I'm in, I'm, I'm very interested in that. I'm interested in your topic, too. Yeah. Because I think this is, I don't actually know a lot about Bobby Fuller. I know the song. So I'm actually really excited about the coming weeks because it's stuff that we really don't know about, so we get to learn. And I think I'll actually have time to read a book, so I'm really excited about that. If you would like a chance to sidetrack us on our future episodes (laughs) and we actually love doing the patreon episodes because a lot of the times it's either someone we know nothing about or it's somebody that we love and we get to fast track them so we actually have like an excel spreadsheet of like all the artists and the things we have coming up and so it's it's a nice respite so if you want to be one of the people that get to pick a patreon episode we still have a couple spots left and if you donate at the $5 level, you basically get to send us three selections. We pick one of them, and then one of us will cover that subject. So you can still get in on that ground floor, the $5 level. Thank you so much to the people that already donate to our Patreon. We could not do this without you. We have an amazing set of pillows now. <laughs> yes. And-, and we almost have a donating name. So we're excited. Yeah. About that. So if you would like to donate to our Patreon, you can do so at patreon.com backslash rock and roll heaven. You can find us at Twitter at rock and roll LT. Facebook is rock and roll heaven pod Instagram rock and roll heaven LT. I'm still not going to say our website and you can email us at rock and roll heaven LT at gmail.com. Please guys, if you could just take two seconds and give us a rating and a review, if you have the time We really could use the bump because that gives us a little bit more visibility on things like iTunes and Stitcher. So if you could just push the little button, five stars. And if you decide to leave us a one-star review, at least tell us why. Yeah, at least tell us why. We don't get better if you don't help us get better. So guys, thank you so much for checking out this week's episode. We really hope you liked it. Make sure to check us out next week when we're going to cover... Nina Simone. And TJ's going to take the helm on that one, so I get to sit back on my new Freddie Mercury pillow and just relax. So you guys have a great weekend, and we will see you soon, and keep rocking in the free world. TJ? Yes. I love you. I love you, too. Bye. Bye. Oh, so tired.
2: The bills I have to